This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as October 1st, 2020. Aloha, everybody. I'm Evan Leong from Brain Gain Hawaii, and welcome to today's Save Hawaii Jobs and Businesses PPP webinar for October 1, 2020. It's been a few months since our last webinar, so it's nice to join all of you once again. If this is fairly new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos explaining the details of the PPP and loan forgiveness. Please make sure you review those documents before asking a question, since most of the answers are going to be in those documents. We have previous webinar videos and a podcast, and Buddy will post the links in the chat box for you to click on as needed. So without further ado, let me please introduce our team for today. Um, for those of you who don't know, Jane Sawyer is now retired. Um, she retired this summer. So please welcome Cynthia Yamasaki, who is the Outreach and Marketing Specialist for the SBA and our new champion for Hawaii Small Businesses. We have Darren Leong from the Law Office of Darren R. Leong, who's a specialist in employment law. Stacey Katakura is the CEO of Accumulus, which is an outsourced CFO and accounting firm. Jeff Harris is the senior name partner at the Torkelton Law Firm. Daniel Malji is the VP Deposit Product Manager at Central Pacific Bank. He's in charge of their PPP um, loan forgiveness area. Sherry Manor McNamara is the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii and championing small businesses as well. Buddy Leong is the Executive Director of Virtual Student Experiences. He handles our communications backend and chat box. And Coco Leong is the Chief Marketing Officer for Virtual Student Experiences and is in charge of content, video editing, and the YouTube channel and podcast. Okay, questions? We're gonna take those during this webinar through the Q&A module only. If you post it in the chat box, we're not answering it there. Um, you can upvote the questions once they're in the Q&A module and we'll do our best um, to answer those questions. But obviously the ones at the top, we'll try to do it first. This is a fully volunteer effort. No one here is being paid for the free pro, um, free pro bono work that's being done to help as many small business um, Hawaii employers as possible. Our focus is to save jobs and save businesses. Um, okay, disclaimer for today, legal disclaimer is this information is provided for informational purposes only. It's not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of now, October 1, 2020. And let's get started with Guanil Malji from CPB. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Mahalo, everyone, for joining. Uh, like Evan said, my name is Guanil Malji, and I'm the VP and product, Deposit Product Manager at Central Pacific Bank. Uh, but over the last six months, I've been full-time working on the PPB project and now overseeing the forgiveness phase of the, the project. So what I, uh, just a quickly on this slide, I feel extremely proud sharing this slide. Uh, CPP made the, the Forbes list for originating the most PPP loans by any lender by state. Uh, we processed a third of all the applications in the state of Hawaii. Our management made this, this a priority since we recognized the community was in distress and needed help. 
we had a great sense of urgency to make sure Hawaii got its fair share of funds since this was a national loan pool. Although the rules kept changing during the origination phase, at least in my experience so far, the loan forgiveness phase is far more complicated and burdensome and challenging. And to make it somewhat less painful, I would like to share some of the approaches that uh, we have experienced uh, doing the pilot program over the last month and a half with our customers. First, uh, the first tip I cannot stress enough, but, but you, you must take the time, and I'm talking to the customers directly, the borrowers, you must take the time to review the official forms and understand what you need to prepare. Because in the end, uh, you are responsible for what you submit. To make the application process easier, we highly recommend everyone to do your homework beforehand. Whatever tool you may end up using, either you choose the, 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 the official forms directly from the SBA or tools created by uh, organizations such as AICPA. Uh, whatever works for you, make sure you do that beforehand so that you have a better understanding of what goes where and what supporting documents you would need. So when you're ready to apply, when your lender uh, uh, opens up their portal, you'll be in a better shape. Second tip, uh, kind of a surprising, uh, kind of a surprise, but all the customers so far that, that we have uh, reviewed the application, majority of them did not realize that their payroll service provider actually created a TPP specific reports for them. So when we, when we kind of mentioned that to them, they realized that all this time that they wasted so many hours trying to figure out all the numbers when their payroll service provider could have simplified all their work for them. So if you're one of those who haven't already reached out to your payroll service provider, I highly encourage that you uh, reach out to them now and, and ask them to, to provide you uh, specific reports to assist you with the payroll count, FTE count, and et cetera. In addition, if you are uh, one of those businesses that process your own payroll, uh, make sure you, you clearly document your, your expenses and identify anything that's unusual. And one of the examples I would like to, to give you is uh, compensation to owners. So most of the payroll service provider reports uh, don't clearly indicate who the owners are. So as a, as a lender, when we review their file, we have no clue who the owners are. So if you don't know who the owners are, it is extremely difficult for us to measure the cap because the cap for the owner compensation is different than the employee. So again, as a tip, when you prepare your documents, please clearly indicate who the owners are or if, if you have any unusual situation, that way when the lender reviews the, the supporting documents, uh, it will avoid the back and forth. Third, again, it kind of goes without saying, but organize, gather your supporting documents and save a digital copy of each document with the appropriate file name. Again, it just makes it easier from the lender standpoint when you organize and upload all the documents and they're clearly labeled because we're expecting 10, 20 different documents for any given businesses. So to make the process easier, both for yourself as well as for the lender, as well as from SBA standpoint, because what documents you provide to us will eventually be submitted to the SBA. So just to make sure you avoid the back and forth, uh, do the homework beforehand and make sure everything is kind of clear, organized, and ready to go. And this is just an example of, of 
report that, that we've gathered from one of the payroll service provider. And I just want to highlight how easy it makes not only for the, the business that's submitting the application, because as you can see what I highlighted here in the growth wages, uh, uh, healthcare and, and the taxes column, basically uh, the vendor uh, assisted the business with capping, meeting the 100,000 cap and, and giving that figure right there. So all the business had to do was take that 188,268.37 and plug it into the cash compensation field. Same thing with the, the next field, which is the healthcare uh, benefit and so forth. So having something like this just makes your job much easier as well as the, the job of the lender easier. So if you, again, haven't reached out to your service provider, please ask them for a PPP specific report. And here's another example of a, a report that would help you with the FTE count. So this vendor did a pretty good job of using both reference period and letting you know which reference period is beneficial to you so you can measure yourself against it. Again, if you were to do this by yourself, it will take you a lot of time and, and, and maybe complicated. So uh, please, please, please reach out to your, your service provider first and see if they have something already ready for you. Uh, at least from CPV standpoint, one of the things that we have started uh, to get a lot of questions on, and it's mainly to do with how the PPP loan originally was booked and the guidelines surrounding it. So when the PPP loan originally was funded, at that time, the customers or the borrowers had six months deferment. So the payments were due seventh month. And that's how all the systems were kind of set up. So what's happening now that they're getting to that six month mark they are looking at the statement online or they're logging into their, their app and, and realizing that the systems are showing that your payment is due in the amount. But what we like to, again, enforce and, and, and make the customers realize is they are not required to make any payments because the deadline to apply for a PPP loan is 10 months after the end of the cover period. So during that time frame, even though our systems may, may show that there's a payment due, technically they don't owe anything. So if the customers can, can get this message, it would help uh, alleviate any, any follow-up calls because uh, just like our bank, I'm sure all the other banks are kind of strapped for resources. So if you can avoid answering questions that are kind of frequently asked and easily uh, available, it just helps everybody. So we encourage that uh, whoever your lender is, go to their website, make sure that you look at the FAQ section. Just like CPB, we have a number of questions that uh, in, in most cases, if you just look at those, those questions, it will answer all your questions. So it, it, it's again, just, just understanding that uh, easier questions, if you can get the answer, just do it yourself. Uh, if the answer is more complicated, then of course you need to reach out to the lender and, and have them assist you, assist you with, with that question. So again, the last thing I just had to share uh, as far as resources, like I mentioned earlier, um, I personally have used the, the pppforgivenesstool.com, which is again, a collaboration of AICPA and Bistro Credit. I think they did a pretty good job because uh, they combined the worksheet with the dynamic uh, form. So it makes it a really good experience for the customers that are trying and testing because the same questions are gonna be asked uh, by the lender when they open the portal. So going through this exercise beforehand would be uh, really beneficial for you because it will better prepare you to know what numbers go where and how to answer certain questions. So 
I'll share the uh, slide deck with Evan so he can post it on the Google Doc so you can reference the link. And again, I'm sharing the, the link to the official uh, forms. So either you prefer that or the link, uh, whatever suits you, you can, you can uh, kind of study upon and, and prepare yourself better. Uh, I'm also sharing the link to the most recent FAQs. Again, uh, a lot of the questions and clarifications were kind of addressed. So if you haven't already looked at the FAQs, please do so. So um, that is all I really had to cover today. Thank you so much. Great, thank you, Dwanil. Um, so you can unshare your screen. Um, I'm gonna pass a few uh, questions to you, Dwanil, that are um, directed uh, specifically for you because I know you have a limited time. Um, one is already answered, which is will a copy of the slides be made available? So Buddy um, will, uh, uh, post that um, and make that available. Um, uh, another question, Duanil, is uh, can you share the names of the payroll service providers who provide a PPP payroll reports? Sure. So, so far, uh, we have seen the local companies like Ceridian, uh, Altres, ProService, obviously ADP is one of the, the first one that I noticed had that report, uh, Gusto, there are, there are a number of them uh, that have created a PPP-specific report. It may look slightly different, but at the end, it gives you the information that you need. I should um, interject. I want to interject there, though. I think um, the reports that are being provided by the payroll providers are ones, or if you are already clients of the, those companies. So if you weren't using them during that, that period of time, I don't think you can go to them and um, ask them to generate reports for you. That's absolutely right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think the biggest question, uh, Duanil, is um, when the uh, forgiveness applications are, are expected to start uh, specifically for CPB. So uh, because everybody's waiting for the pending legislation, uh, we took a different approach. Uh, our bank is going to uh, do a faith approach and invite borrowers uh, in, in, in the order of the loan funding date. So we feel like that would be a, a better way to manage the traffic. And uh, we've all, also conducted some polls to realize that not a lot of customers are actually ready to apply. So with that, that analysis, we figured that giving a, a thousand-ish customers chance to, to see if they're ready to apply helps us kind of better manage our, our, our operations. Yeah, I, I'll uh, add a point onto that, which is probably the the number one point that I wanted to make on this webinar, which is if you have a loan, a PPP loan that is under $150,000, you very well may consider holding your horses, sit tight at least until election day, because uh, this is just my personal opinion, but I think there's a very good chance that a further stimulus bill magically appears shortly before election day and that the um, legislators uh, pump some money back into the system. One of the items that is on the table and is appears to be uncontroversial for the most part between both Democrats and Republicans is a streamlined process for forgiveness for 
smaller loans. Those smaller loans account for like 80 something percent of all loans, uh, which is under $150,000, but they're less than like a quarter or something of the total dollar amounts. So there is legislation that has been bounced around that would essentially turn that forgiveness process into a one pager. Um, and it probably makes sense to see whether that passes or not, because even if you use the eight weeks and you finished a long time ago, you still have 10 months. So um, my thought would be to, to sit and, and sit tight and wait. Well, um, let me pile on please a minute, Darren. Yes, Jeffrey. Okay. So it's, you have 10 months to submit the application to the bank. The bank has 60 days to decide on the application after you submit it. And SBA has three months after the bank reports to the SBA its conclusions on forgiveness. The time that you start, that you will be required to start making any payments on the unforgiven part of the loan is, it, is when SBA pays the bank, the forgiven part of the loan, not before then. So potentially, uh, 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 you could wait 10 months after your covered period ends to make sure you have all the clarifications, and they're still building this plane in the sky. Okay. And, then, and, and then you're going to have 60 days to work with the bank, and then we don't know how how much of that 90 days the FBA is going to take to review the bank's determination. But not until then will you be paying, making any payments on your, any unforgiven part of the loan. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, thank you very much to Duanil. Uh, if you can stick around a few minutes, um, that would be great as well, but I know he's on a very tight schedule. Uh, I want to pass it to uh, Sherry Minor McNamara, who is the head of uh, the Chamber of Commerce here. Uh, and I think Sherry has a, uh, a brief presentation, so she'll be sharing her screen as well. Great. Thank you, Darren. And thank you, everyone. And as Evan mentioned, the band is back. And I thank you for allowing me to be your guest uh, singer or <laughs> uh, present presenter. So my presentation will be very short. I just wanted to talk about some of the additional resources available on uh, city as well as the state level. So just briefly, as you know, the on a federal level, there's still the uh, EDA loan available. On the state level, uh, the governor um, used some of the CARES monies to create a couple of programs. That's the Hawaii Tech Development Corps Innovation Grants for PPE supply chain. Uh, so that essentially provides local manufacturers a grant to help them pivot from what their existing product is to making PPEs. And uh, manufacturers can apply up to $500,000 uh, as long as they have less than 50 employees. And what they consider PPEs are uh, CAPS, gowns, coveralls, gloves, surgical masks, respirators, fabric masks, face shields, hand sanitizers. As you've seen, many of the uh, distilleries, such as Kohana Rum, turned many of their uh, distilleries to sanitizers. Cleaning and sanitizing products uh, and others that are approved by HTDC. 
So that's one program there. The other one is the Haima Free PPE for Qualifying Small Businesses. So that one is essentially this here. Uh, the state is providing free PPE to businesses with less than 100 employees. Uh, and this is essentially the process of how it works. You have to create an account uh, with that on that website that you see listed there. And then you enter uh, the passcode provided, and then you can go shopping with what is needed. But mind you, it does take a couple of months to get it because they are ordering in bulk. So uh, you won't get it right away, but it, at least this is free PPE. So we encourage you to apply uh, and shop for these PPEs. The other one, as you know, which received a lot of coverage is the C and County of Honolulu Small Business Grant Program. Uh, each county has their own grant program. My understanding is Kauai County already ran out. I believe there's still some funds available uh, on Maui and Hawaii County. As for the city and county of Honolulu, they launched theirs a few months ago. Uh, first, the first criteria was businesses with less than $1 million revenue. And then they added more money, uh, but they expanded the criteria to uh, increase it to $2 million revenue. And most recently, they increased it to $5 million uh, in revenue. And it provides those that already applied, they can reapply again. And this grant is only available, um, there are certain conditions. Unfortunately, it does not apply to home-based businesses. And I know that has been uh, one of the uh, most popular concerns we've been getting. And we are uh, communicating to the city and county of Honolulu that um, possibly using CARES monies for home-based businesses as well. Uh, so it is, you know, it that did increase their criteria as well as... Um, the revenue base. Uh, so there's definitely opportunities there to get more monies. But those are the highlights of existing resources right now. And I do know that um, the state as well as city and county of Honolulu are looking at other programs to support small businesses. Thank you, Sherry. Um, there are two, two questions right at the top of the Q&A that relate to the city's program. So why don't we tackle those before jumping back to PPP? Uh, and Sherry, either you can answer this or uh, Stacy should be able to. The first question relates to the city and county program, and it's uh, that the city has the new grant program uh, for over 2 million revenues, which is what you just covered. Um, but there's an exclusion uh, for businesses uh, that the business has not been reimbursed from other federally funded CARES Act Paycheck Protection uh, Plan or program or IDLE. Uh, et cetera. Uh, so the question is, if you got a PPP loan, um, can you still take advantage of the, the city program and what is the interchange between the two? Uh, I can I can take that. Um, so I think just as with the PPP and the IDLE, um, you can't use the, the funds for the same um, purposes. Uh, so if you if you have the PPP and IDLE and you've exhausted those uh, those proceeds, uh, you can apply for uh, reimbursement through the grant just as long as it's not for the same uh, expense. Yeah, it's a double dipping um, provision. Yep. Um, and then one more question. Let's stay with Stacy for this. For that that same uh, city and county program, uh, are the grants subject to general excise tax and business income taxes? 
Yes, it is. Unfortunately, um, the uh, exclusion from income taxes in JET uh, only applied to the PPP. Okay, thank you. Um, so let's pass uh, to Jeff. So in the, it, it's actually been a few months since we've been back and in the interim, particularly on August 11th, uh, the SBA uh, made a number of um, either clarifications or changes, or however you'd like to describe them, uh, most of which relate to what counts as being eligible um, to, to apply to PPP funding. So Jeff is going to cover that, um, and then we can take some Q&A. Go ahead, Jeff. First of all, Darren, on the, on the payroll costs, the, the SBAs and Treasuries August 11th um, questions and answers clarified that owners excluded from having their benefits being counted as payroll costs are only those owners that own 5% or more of the business. So ESOP owners or other smaller percentage owners aren't covered by the owner exclusion from credit for employee benefits. Uh, the August 11th clarifications also said that vision and dental insurance premiums during the covered period could be counted as payroll costs as well as housing stipends. There were clarifications on the non-payroll costs that be, could be covered. You, you couldn't take credit for operations of tenants or subtenants or non-deductible household expenses for home-based businesses, suggesting the negative pre pregnant that if they would be deductible for home, home-based businesses, you may be able to take those as non-payroll costs. That's not really clear yet, and we'll either get some further guidance or we'll be able to talk the bank into one thing or the other. Um, the entire electrical bill is eligible, including supply and distribution taxes. Here's where Darren and I part ways. Um, first of all, it's clear your car leases aren't non-payroll costs. You can't count car leases is non-allowable non non-payroll costs. I don't think you can count anything in transportation as non-payroll costs because uh, the questions and answers say limit, limit transportation costs to transportation fees assessed by state and federal governments. And I don't think we have any of those. Darren, Darren, I think you go back and say, well, maybe there's a prior regulation that allows you to to take credit for business gas. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that. The, the next clarification that the, the August 11th changes made is, you know you have an alternative payroll period that you can use that starts on the first payroll payday after your covered period starts and ends a little bit later after your covered period ends. And, and, and what the August 11th uh, changes clarified is that that only applies to payroll costs and not non-payroll costs. Now, here's the big thing that happened on August 11th. And it's, it's really been the, one of the biggest questions that we've, we've discussed in all of our presentations. When do costs have to be paid or incurred? Until August 11th, we thought, based on 
based on the statute saying that the payroll and non-payroll costs needed to be paid or incurred during the covered period. And all of the regulations that came out before August 11th saying payroll and non-payroll costs needed to be paid or incurred during the covered period. And the specific exception of mortgage interest that couldn't be prepaid. We thought that there was a good argument that you could prepay healthcare premiums for months after the covered period or retirement contributions or payroll for after the covered period and indeed even rent. That on August 11th, the questions and answers answered that question with a resounding no. Okay. Now it's clear according to the questions and answers that Treasury issued on August 11th that you can only count as covered by your PPE loan the portion of premiums paid for healthcare coverage during the covered period. The portion of retirement contributions that were earned during the covered period and nothing else. You still can count amounts paid after the covered period, but they have to be for work done or services used during the covered period. And that was really a big change on August 11th. I imagine there are some people that would be surprised by that, but at the same time, you can adjust by instead of taking an eight-week covered period, going with the 24-week covered period and readjusting your accounting. And it's really the same thing for mortgage costs, rent obligations. The allowable expenses are for those mortgage, the mortgage for the use of the property, mortgage interest for the use of the property during the covered period, rent during the covered period for use during the covered period. The one other thing that I wanted to mention is I thought they made it, the IFR made it a lot clearer that your full-time employee, your full-time employee forgiveness would, the drop in the full-time employee count would not be implemented if you could show that the drop in the full-time employee account was due to our Governor Ige and Mayor Caldwell's shutdown orders. And I think a lot of people are going to find that useful, especially if they go to the 24-week period and are able to show that they had most of their drop in full-time employees, not paid, but full-time employees was as a result of those shutdown orders. Thank you, Darren. That's really all I have. Yeah, let me just expand on that last point. So there is some guidance on this exception to the FTE reductions, but probably a bit more is needed. What we do know is that the exception applies when a significant amount of the reduction in business activity resulted from a state or local government shutdown order, which is based in part on guidance from federal agencies. 
So what that means in practice is that the, for example, the most recent full shutdown order, if that um, caused a significant amount in your reduction of business, that should exclude you or exempt you from the, uh, you know, getting your forgiveness reduced on an FTE uh, reduction. Um, in, in our view, and, and Jeff and I uh, recently dis discussed this, um, and Stacy as well, is like, for example, retail and uh, restaurants, that's an easy call because those were businesses that were forced to explicitly shut down by that, that order. Uh, the ones that are, are probably tougher are businesses that continue to operate, you know, sort of normally. Uh, and for, for those businesses, you'll want to be able to show through facts, statistics, reports, et cetera, how that order is connected causally, like how the order caused the reduction in your business. That's how you're going to support that uh, particular uh, exemption. Okay, um, uh, Q and A's. There is one question about that keeps coming up about the idle loans, um, particularly the advances and how they affect um, forgiveness of, of the PPP amount. So let's go to uh, uh, SBA rep Cynthia Yamasaki, uh, who can talk about that. Thanks. Yes, so if a PPP borrower also received an idle loan and got the idle advance. So the idle advance was uh, when you applied for an idle loan in the beginning, uh, they would advance you $1,000 per employee up to 10,000. And that in the beginning was kind of called like a grant, but it really was a loan advance. So later as pe people receive PPP loans, if you get your loan forgiven, that idle advance amount that you receive will be reduced from your loan forgiveness. That's how it reads now. So for example, if someone got a thousand, you know, $2,000 idle advance and they got a PPP loan for a hundred thousand and they got forgiven, really they still have a $2,000 amount of the PPP loan that's not forgiven because it's gonna be reduced. So, there's a lot of discussion around that. They raise a lot of questions. So that's how it stands now. And we're waiting to see if that possibly could change in the next round of uh, potential changes. Thank you, Cynthia. I, I think the weirdness around it is the implementation. So it looks mm -hmm. like how it's going to work is basically um, you're gonna submit for the full forgiveness, but yes. the amount that's coming back from the SBA is going to uh, is going to knock off the advance. Uh, it's going to be less than the the forgiven amount requested. Mm -hmm. So you should what that means in practice is you should still submit for the full forgiveness amount, but expect that your um, advance is going to be reduced from what you actually get. Yes. Can I add to that? Sure. So when a, when you fill out your PPP loan application it asks you for the amount of advance that you received and your idle loan number. So many people uh, are calling us to ask, oh, what was my idle number? So if you have your records, your emails from your idle loan, it should be there. It starts with the number three. If you don't have it, you can look at your 
bank account. And the borrowers who I spoke in with found it by looking at their check registers and seeing that there is a reference number from the SBA with the idle number there. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, these next couple Q and A's uh, are probably for Stacy. Um, so it first one says uh, October one, twenty twenty. Um, can a company record slash show the SBA PPP loan forgiveness on the company's uh, December thirty one, twenty twenty books as though it is forgiven? since we received our SBA PPP loan on April 15th of 2020? Or is a company obligated or required to leave it on the books as a loan uh, liability um, until essentially forgiveness uh, is approved? Stacy. I'm going to say that, um, and I see that uh, Randall included a link to the some guidance. I haven't looked at that guidance, but I'm going to say that um, the loan should be should be should remain as a liability on your books until the date that you're uh, that it is forgiven. Um, I have been asked this question a lot, and I think what I um, have been also telling people is for for your internal um, reporting purposes, if it um, if you want to recognize the forgiveness sooner, I think that's fine. Uh, as long as it's just for your internal reporting purposes, but anything that's that's uh, that's external, um, you should uh, wait until the, the loan is forgiven. Okay. Uh, next question, also a Stacy question, is: Are there any updates on the deductibility of um, expenses paid for with PPP uh, loan money? Unfortunately, no. There 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 is hasn't been any um, updates on that because as of now, um, the expenses paid with your PPP loan are not uh, deductible. Mm -hmm. uh, I expect you know that that might uh, we might see clarification on that after the election or um, in early next year, hopefully. Okay. Uh, next one is also a Stacy question. T today is the day for accountants to shine. <laughs> Um, what I am hearing is that the PPP forgiveness determination possibly may not be decided uh, until late 2021, which is accurate depending on when the uh, forgiveness app is submitted. Uh, if the PPP forgiven amounts and covered expenses are not reportable on income tax returns, how will this impact filing of the 2020 tax returns? Actually, so um, your the PPP forgiveness is not uh, is not taxable, um, regardless of whether whether or not uh, it doesn't. The forgiveness is separate from um, what you're you're reporting on your tax return. So I think I would. I mean, I think you would want to try to extend your tax return, regardless, um, to until further guidance is issued on the deductibility of the expenses as well. Um, but. Yeah, I think I, I would just recommend that you you kind of hold on uh, and not file your tax returns yet. Okay, I see Duanil is still here, so I'll take advantage of that because I think the next question is um, is up his alley. Uh, example: We have paid four months of rent via check. When we digitize, digitalize, should we create four PDFs or just one PDF called rent payments? Uh, we have almost a hundred entries on our uh, PPP disbursement spreadsheet. Should we do a PDF for each entry or do one for rent, one for utilities, et cetera? Uh, do you want to um, uh, unmute? 
Let's see. There we go. Can you hear me, Evan? Uh, yep, we got you. Great question. So yeah, we would uh, prefer that you include all your expenses for each category in one PDF. So all your rent combined in one PDF, all your utility in one if possible. Uh, same thing with payroll, cash compensation. Uh, it just makes it easier for us to review all at once versus having to open six, seven, 10 different documents and match up the numbers. Great, thank you. Um, next question, let's go to Jeff. Um, can you please discuss safe harbor number one and number two, because it seems they seem to apply to Hawaii businesses. Uh, safe harbor number one is the uh, one that your, your business uh, activity was negatively affected because of the shutdown order. And then number two is the one that relates to a reduction in FTEs that you uh, then restore by either the time you submit your forgiveness app or December 31st. So Jeff, go ahead. So number one is the, the significant reduction in business activity because of the shutdown orders. That if you, if you lose FTEs because of that significant reduction in business, then the, that reduction in FTEs should not affect your forgiveness. If you're a, if you're a restaurant that is doing everything for takeout with the, the chef and the maitre d and not the the 12 other waiters then that and that's because your restaurant is closed because of the mayor and governor's orders then that's not a, a fte reduction that that affects your forgiveness because it's obviously due to the shutdown orders um that the shutdown order also includes the 14 day quarantine that is affecting your business okay so on on the next one it, the the it's self evident if you if you bring back you, the employees that you had at the start of the year by the by the december 31st if that's what the question's about then you satisfy the exception to the fte um FTE reduction. Um, Darren, do you have anything to add there? No, I don't think so. Um, so for everyone um, who's on, just a, a, I think we forgot to cover it at the top. So we're taking questions in the Q&A, but we're taking them uh, based on which questions um, uh, get the most upvotes. So in the Q&A, there's a little thumbs up um, and uh, if there are particular questions that are pressing or that you think is a really good question that you want answered, then push that one to the top because um, uh, I see that we have a big long list of like zero or ones. Um, so I want to make sure that we use the last 15 minutes to cover the questions that are uh, the most pressing. Um, okay. So next question, let's stay with Jeff. Uh, it's actually two questions, the second of which I think is, is the more difficult one. But um, Jeff, when taking the average of my salaried employees uh, to see if I dropped below 75% or not. So we're talking about the wage reduction for forgiveness. 
Uh, question is, do I leave out the weeks they were furloughed or do I have to include all 24 weeks, which I'm presuming using a 24 week uh, period. And then the second question is, if they have been laid off before the 24 weeks is up, do I use the number of weeks that they actually worked or do I use all 24 weeks, which is gonna show zeros, like a 100% reduction for the, the weeks where they were laid off? Go ahead, Jeff. Karen, if, if they're not being paid when they're furloughed, the, the, the time that they're totally not working is not counted as a pay reduction. Okay, only yeah, the, only the time that. they're they're working, but but uh, but if you pay them while they're on furlough, then mm -hmm. then that might be a, a different answer. But if you furlough the the employees and you don't pay them, that then that doesn't count against your your seventy five percent analysis. Since the the short answer is if if their pay is reduced or eliminated because they're not working they're working less hours or they're not working that doesn't affect the pay analysis so I'm gonna, make the, I'm gonna make the question a little harder so if i have furloughed employees and uh what i'm doing is i'm paying for their health insurance but i'm not paying their salary do i have to include the time that they're on furlough as um in the reductions it's an unfair fair question, but go ahead. My 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 opinion is no. Because okay. because the 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 regulation existing even before these most most recent questions and answers said if there you don't count uh, a reduction in pay for the period they're not working. And yeah. that the healthcare would be a reduction just paying the healthcare would be a reduction in pay. Okay. Um, next question. I'm a single member LLC sole proprietor, um, no employees other than myself. So you're going to fall under the owner maximums, which is 15385 uh, yeah. for the eight-week period and 20833 for a 24-week period. Um, it is <laughs> good memory. Gold, gold star. Um, <laughs> is there a pared down instruction sheet on how to fill out, um, prepare for forgiveness? So uh, I would, I'll take this one. Um, two points here. So there are two applications. One is an easy form application and one is the long form application. For the single one person shops, you're almost certainly going to use the easy form. Uh, but even for some of the business out there, businesses out there, you might qualify to use the easy form. To know whether or not you can use the easy form, the place you need to look is in the instructions. So mm -hmm. the instructions, not the actual application itself. The instructions have three different scenarios at the very top of the instructions uh, to see whether you might be able to use that form. That's point number one. Point number two is the one I made earlier, which is uh, if you're a, if you're a solo, that means the maximum loan you should have is twenty thousand eight thirty three, which is definitely under one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So because I think there's a real meaningful chance that loans under one hundred fifty thousand dollars by legislation to come 
um, that they are made very easy for forgiveness, even easier than they are now, uh, I, I suggest waiting a little bit to see if that legislation actually passes. Because if it does, then you'll, you'll literally have a one page to submit to the bank uh, and ask for forgiveness. Okay. Um, next question. I guess this would be Cynthia. I was advised to make a payment on my PPP in the amount of idle advance I received. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not a Cynthia question. I, I guess advised by who would be my um, question. But anyway, Cynthia, do you want to comment on that? I, I would wait until you receive the final decision through your bank from the SBA, what was approved. The SBA will de um, deduct it from your PPP forgiveness. So I would wait to make any payments until you hear from your banker if you have an outstanding PPP loan amount. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the what Jeff covered before and the moral of the mm -hmm. story is if, if you have 10 months to make a, you know, to, to submit your application and then it's going to be months after that before you're required to make any payments at all. And if there is a chance for the 80 something percent that have loans under $150,000, there's a chance that forgiveness becomes very easy for those. Sit tight. Just yes. hold on. Um, yeah. And let's let's see what happens. Okay. Um, clarification. So the idle will not be forgiven, and we have to pay it back if we also have a PPP. So um, there are two aspects to the idle, and I'll, I'll let Stacy expand on this. But there, one's in advance, and one is the actual loan, and they're treated differently. So, Stacy, do you want to comment? Sure. So the um, it's just the idle advance that would not be um, would reduce your forgiveness. If you have an idle loan, um, that doesn't uh, impact your your forgiveness. It's just the amount of the advance that you received. Mm -hmm. uh, next question is for Jeff, and this goes to the um, reliance on prior guidance issue. If our PPP funding was already spent prior to August 11th, and August 11th is the key date because that's when the um, Treasury uh, and SBA came out with um, more restrictive rules than we thought had otherwise existed with respect to advance payments, et cetera. Uh, so if you already spent it before August 11th and when the new guidelines, can you rely on the old guidelines? For example, we prepaid some rent um, would we have a good argument that we can rely on the old guidelines that said essentially that we could prepay, prepay rent? Jeffrey. There you yes, go. Yes, you, you go. have a good argument based on the statute, on the regulations that existed before um, August 11th and, and on the specific uh, rule against advanced payment of mortgage interest. That being said, run an exercise and see if you can recharacterize um, the pay the, the the on an accounting basis uh, use of all the the amount of the PP loan during the twenty four week period because then you won't have to make that argument anyway. Yeah, I mean, 
if you're using a 24 week period, uh, our, our hope and expectation is that these sort of more restrictive rules at the edges that were added on August 11th, hopefully you don't have to use them. So, you know, if you're spreading out payroll costs over 24 weeks, in many, many cases, it'll be real simple because you'll have enough wages to, you know, use up the money applying it toward wages and that sort of thing. Your, your problem, if you're going over that 24 weeks, is going to be make sure, making sure that you avoid the FTE reductions. That's mm -hmm. the primary problem. And that's where um, the exception that we've been talking about, uh, about you know, being negatively affected because of the government shutdown comes in. Okay, uh, time for just a few more. Um, I'll pass this to Stacy. I'm not fully tracking, but maybe Stacy can track it. Uh, is there any clarification on employee count once funds have been used? Do we still have to keep everyone employed at pre-COVID hours until we submit forgiveness? Or since funds have been used, and uh, the covered period has expired. Oh, I'm now I'm following. Okay, can we make adjustments to hours, Stacy? So I'm going to answer. Um, you should maintain your FTE counts through the end of your um, covered period, um, not not when you submit for forgiveness. So that's probably going to be earlier than the, the date that you submit for forgiveness. I think this is one of the areas, though, that are um, if you are using the 24 week covered period, there's not. Um, you know, you're, you're probably in a situation where your loan was sized based on two, two and a half months of payroll, um, and the 24-week cover period is nearly six months, so you're going to run out of funds um, before the end of your um, your cover period. Um, and there's not a lot of guidance right now by the SPA as to um, if whether or not you or how you know whether or not you're going to be required to re uh, retain your maintain your FTE during that entire period. Um, Stacy, uh, let's stick with you. Uh, does QuickBooks have any PPP specific um, extension or app extension or something that can be used for PPP tracking? I'm not aware of any. I think if you use, um, I, I believe if you use QuickBooks for payroll, um, you might be able to get a report from QuickBooks to, uh, for, your, uh, for your payroll costs. Yeah, I, I'm a... I, I use QuickBooks, but I'm a bit of a novice, but you can run reports as long as you're itemizing rent um, and utilities and whatever it is that you're inputting as itemized into QuickBooks. Uh, you can run reports that just categorize those and, and lump them together for certain periods of time. Uh, you can export it into Excel documents that are sortable, and then you can also convert it to PDF. So um, that should uh, make it much easier to put it into the format like Duaneo was talking about, where it's um, you know easy to uh, upload into the CPP system. I would, I would go Darren, Darren, if I may add something there. Yeah, of course. Yes, I think... We had a handful of customers that do use QuickBooks, so it is not designed in the PPP format, so they would have to do extra work. For example, to measure the cap, they would have to kind of manipulate the, the data they export in Excel to, to get to that um, 100K cap for the employees that exceed. Plus, they have to kind of uh, indicate mm -hmm. the owner employees if there are any. 
So they, they would still have to do some extra work, but at least they'll have the, the most of the data they can download from QuickBooks. That, that makes sense. So essentially, once you export your QuickBooks for payroll, for example, into Excel, you would need to create a rule that like for a hundred thousand dollar employee that it caps them there that it 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 if it's you know if the number is one hundred twenty five thousand that it the rule changes that number to a hundred yeah okay and I think um, uh, what your example though um, Darren was for the non payroll costs um, you can sort your yep. expenses in, in the non payroll costs and uh, write a report or export it to Excel but I would. I would think, and Dwinell, you can correct me or chime in, but I would think you would still need to provide um, copies of invoices and uh, payment uh, receipts uh, for those expenses. That's absolutely correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this, we're just assuming this point, um, but I'll recover it anyway. The, the split between what you're allowed to get full forgiveness on uh, for payroll costs and non-payroll costs, uh, it did change to a 60-40 split, 60% uh, payroll costs, 40% non-payroll costs, which is different than the original 75-25. So just be aware that uh, now it's at least 60% of the money needs to be used for payroll costs in order to get full forgiveness and emphasis on at least. So uh, you could use 100% of it if you want it for payroll costs and be mm -hmm. eligible for forgiveness. Um, okay, I think we are there. Um, so uh, it's been a while. Thank you to uh, all of you for joining us. And then thank you to Dwanil and Sherry um, and Cynthia for joining the band. Um, so hopefully you all are staying safe out there. Uh, and until next time, in the uh, immortal words of Freakonomics, take care of yourselves and take care of someone else if you can. Take care.